in the construction business and tired of dealing with the indifference of big corporate suppliers? Quality Supply and Tool on South Harding Street understands. For over 25 years, owner Kevin Ane has had a different approach. We at Quality Supply and Tool take pride in being a locally owned family business committed to service. And every customer's needs are different, and we truly believe in shaping our business to our customers' needs. That's what separates us from the competition. That's Quality Supply and Tool with additional locations in Bloomington, Jeffersonville, and Lafayette to serve Hoosiers better. Partner with Quality Supply and Tool and think outside the box store. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson. Brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, good evening to you. Another edition of Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. My name is Jake Query. Mike Thompson joins me as he does each and every night here on this program. Taking a look back at some of the names, the personalities, the stories of yesteryear for the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Mike, it's always interesting to me when we do this and we talk about some of the names, oftentimes of winners of the 500, sometimes of those that were simply hard chargers or fan favorites. And sometimes it makes me think in my mind, okay, 50 years from now, 60 years from now, which names of the current ilk will be the, you know, AJ Foyt, Mario Andretti, synonymous, everyone knows who they are, and which names will be those who won the race, and for whatever reason, their name doesn't resonate as much, historically speaking, as it did in their present era. I've always found that to be one of the fascinating things in analyzing drivers in terms of the transfer in history. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that will be interesting to see where everybody falls, um, because you know you think of guys who have immediate name recognition still to this day. I mean, I, I think of immediate. I don't know why. I just immediately thought of like a Danny Sullivan. I think he still he still has a lot of name recognition. I think part of that's because of the spin and things like that. But uh, you know, th- there's other winners that have gotten. We do talked about this on his previous show. There's other winners who have gotten lost along the way, unfortunately. So. Uh, it will be interesting to see where this the group of the, the current drivers uh, lands. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about a couple of those that, you know, perhaps are, you know, I don't know if you'd say Danny Sullivan. Who knows? That's the big question, right? It remains to be seen which Indianapolis 500 winners will be those that become an anecdotal part of. And that's not to in any way, shape, or form dismiss the careers of some of those who have had and reached the ultimate level of success and whose names are immortalized among the Borg Warner Trophy. But there are some who raced and then for whatever reason, not long after winning the Indianapolis 500, and I don't mean those that have that were fatally injured, you know, obviously that's the, the, the tragedies that ended so many careers, but those that raced and then for whatever reason found themselves in a situation where they didn't run again or did and without great success at Indianapolis and that includes our first driver who if I'm not mistaken that will be our subject tonight Mike I could be wrong in this but I think if I recall correctly that the late great Bob Jenkins who I absolutely loved uh, with all my heart Bob Jenkins I believe his favorite driver was Jerry Hoyt 
but one of his favorite 500 winners was the guy that is going to be the first that we talk about tonight as we start talking about some of the drivers that uh, had so much success in the 50s at Indianapolis. I believe that's correct, and I believe that I uh, I was fortunate enough to talk to um, our our friend, the late the late great Mr. Bob Jenkins about this driver uh, Lee Wallard. Um, Lee, he was interested in Lee Wallard, and and it was interesting to see, you know, you know, obviously you knew Bob Jenkins way better than I did, but it was fun for me to talk to him and just see the the kind of twinkle in his eye and the smile on his face when he would talk about drivers of the past and. And he would light up talking about uh, Lee Wallard and what the Ballinger special uh, meant to him. And it just it put a big smile on his face and he would just talk about it. And he'd get this kind of big belly laugh about it. And just you just he loved Lee Wallard and loved the car. Lee Wallard began his racing career in 1946, at least in terms of his racing career in the AAA championships, shall we say. He began racing in Langhorn in 1946, finished 11th that first year it was not until 1948 when he began racing in multiple races and as a matter of fact in that year he raced at the indianapolis motor speedway for the very first time starting in the 28th position and finishing in seventh in that race one of course never knows what historically that might mean for a driver turns out that he actually was finding some success because langhorn and milwaukee were next on the schedule uh, he actually missed the race in Milwaukee the week after Indy, but then in Langhorn finished sixth, Milwaukee finished fifth. So all of a sudden is off and running in terms of getting three straight top 10 finishes for Lee Wallard. But this was a driver in Lee Wallard that was born in New York in 1910 and came to Indianapolis, as I had mentioned, in 1948. Then in 1949, 1950 returned, finishing in 23rd in 1949 and in sixth in 1950. By the time he sat down with Tom Carnegie in 1952, he was an Indianapolis 500 champion. He won in 1951. He started in the first row. As a matter of fact, he started in the second position, finished one spot higher. And I would assume that what we are going to hear with Tom Carnegie, as we have heard in other episodes of this program, Mike, would be, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that a 1952 audio between Tom Carnegie and Lee Wallard is probably one of the promotional audios that were kind of sent out to promote the race in talking with the year's previous winner. That's correct. This was an opportunity to get a chance to talk to the previous winner, but unfortunately, I think as we'll talk about after this clip, uh, Lee Wallard was not able to participate in the 1952 500 or any race after uh, that, he was just unable to do that due to injury, which we'll talk about, I think, after the clip. But this is one of those promotional clips that uh, the Speedway uh, sent out that either Sid Collins or or Tom Carnegie did. It certainly was not for lack of effort of getting back in the car, as we will talk about. But that 1951 Indianapolis 500-mile race, Lee Wallard led five times for 159 laps. So he had an absolutely, for all intent and purposes, a dominating day, did Lee Wallard. Took the lead back, as a matter of fact, on lap 81 and led throughout, led laps 81 through 200 in the 35th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And then, as Mike talked about, preview in the 1952 race, he sat down with Tom Carnegie. This is Tom Carnegie at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, where the annual 500-mile race will be run on May 30th. Our guest today, Lee Wallard who won this International Speed Classic last year by setting a new record of 126.244 miles per hour. Lee, you had some mighty tough luck after the big race last year, right? 
Yes, I did, Tom. Uh, I went to Reading, Pennsylvania just four days after Indianapolis and had one of those unfortunate accidents and was burned quite badly. But uh, I'm glad to be up and around again and be out here and say hello to everyone. Say, as the record holder for the race, Lee Wallard, what do you say it takes to win here in Indianapolis? Well, first of all, you must have a good car, a good crew. Uh, it's got to be a combination all the way around. You must have a car owner that isn't afraid to spend some money on his equipment. And uh, most of all, a chief mechanic, uh, he's the man that gets that thing running the way it should. And it's just got to be an all-round combination. Well, now you haven't talked uh, talked a bit about uh, the driver's ability. Well, uh, <laughs> you do have to have a little bit of that too, Tom. Now tell us, uh, I know a driver must be in top physical condition for the race. When do you first get tired, let's say? Well, as long as it's there's someone giving you some competition all the time, you don't usually think about getting tired. All you're looking forward to, like this past year, was to stay out front and try and get some of that $100 a lap. But uh, towards the end of the race, around 400 miles, then those laps are starting to get real long. Now, naturally, Lee, you'll be pulling and rooting for the two-car Bellinger team. Do you think Tony Bettenhausen or Dwayne Carter can win this year? Well, uh, as I have mentioned before, Ballinger does have a good crew, and I'm sure with Tony and Dwayne Carter driving the two cars, they have as good a chance as anyone out here, and uh, I'm sure they both have good automobiles. Now, do you think anyone, any driver, will break your record this year? Well, uh, you'll have to take into consideration the weather, if it's uh, a nice clear day and not too much wind, and also the fact that uh, last year I didn't have too, too much time under the caution flag. If the caution flag comes out much, I'm sure it'll be slower than last year. Mm -hmm. But uh, you had the green light most of the way right, uh, last year, right? Yes, I did, Tom. It was only just out for, I think, a fraction of a lap. It wasn't too long. And then when that caution flag uh, comes out, you really have to slow down. You're supposed to, but uh, everyone kind of finds out where the accident is, and then from there on, they, they run pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, then that uh, you're always hoping that that green flag comes right back up. Well, Lee, uh, what condition was your car in at the finish last year? We've had, heard a lot of stories about it. Now you tell us. Well, the car itself, the motor was in perfect condition, as we found out when it was torn down. But uh, we did have a lot of other small things that were wrong. The frame was fractured in a few places. The mag strap was broken. Of course, everyone knows the brakes. Uh, the brake unit on the right rear wheel came off, and I had no brakes. But just a, a, a lot of little things. Now, Lee, what speed do you think will be necessary to win one of the 33 starting positions this year? I think it'll take between 133 and 134 mile an hour to get into the race. Thanks, Lee Wallard, for this special interview, and good luck to you and your recovery. And we'll see you here in Indianapolis on Friday, May 30th, when the 36th annual 500-mile race will be run off. We'll get to that recovery in a moment in exactly what Tom Carnegie was talking about. Lee Wallard was an older gentleman by the time he was, by rookie standards, a rookie for that matter. He passed his Indianapolis Motor Speedway rookie test in 1948 in a Duesenberg, and he did so at the age of 35. And then, of course, ended up making the show and ran the Indianapolis 500. 
but it was after he won the Indianapolis 500-mile race in 1951. As a matter of fact, within a week of winning it, Mike, that's when ultimately the tragedy that would end his career as a competitive racer happened, and it happened within days of winning at Indy. People who won the 500, you, you think you're at the pinnacle of, of your career and and everything's going to be great from there on because now you're an Indianapolis 500 winner. And there are several instances that we can point to where the winner then, um, you know, and it's certainly an extreme tragic situation with Ray Keach. I mean, he only lived a few more days beyond winning and then was was fatally injured in an accident in Altoona. Uh, and, in, and in Wallard's case, only a few days after winning, he was, I mean, very, very severely burned over half of his body uh, in this accident that happened at Reading. Uh, he was in the hospital for, I think it was 118 days or something like that. And he had uh, skin grafts, like 35 or 36, I think it was skin grafts, maybe 37 skin grafts um, before he finally was able to be released from the hospital. Um, it was a very, very serious situation that happened to, to, to Lee Wallard. And again, he is he's at the pinnacle just a few days earlier as the uh, the 500 winner. And, you know, then the next, you know, couple of days later, he's, you know, fighting for his life in a burn unit. And, and he never drove again after that. Uh, he had tried to make a comeback. Uh, he, you know, he was just unsuccessful. He just wasn't able to come back. So he had to retire. He tried to, it was three years before he tried to make a comeback. And he, he tried to come back in 1954 and just was unable to come back. And, but he was always, the way I understand it from everyone who met him, he was very jovial, always a jovial person. Uh, I think we've talked before that uh, he had two different autographs. Uh, he had an autograph that he signed, his normal autograph, the, you know, a cursive kind of a script autograph that you would see, you know, the normal autograph. And then he had another one that we believe he did mainly just for kids where he would incorporate his name into uh, the shape of a, of a roadster race car. Um, and he would, you know, not spell out Lee Wallard while drawing a race car around it. And he would kind of do that for kids. Uh, the way we understand it. So uh, a very, very jovial person, even with what had happened to him at Reading. In October of 1963, Lee Wallard had suffered a heart attack in Tampa. He was ultimately admitted to the hospital in St. Petersburg, where he passed away on November 28th of 1963 at the age of 53. And Lee Wallard, somebody, as Mike had mentioned, who had tried to come back and race in 1954, but he drove the little jewel and will always be known as that towards his success in racing itself, taking on a car that Tony Bettenhausen and Dwayne Carter both decided to uh, not try to run in. He won Indianapolis in that car, and then in the interim, after coming and overcoming the burn injuries and trying to come back from that, did work as a bartender, as a matter of fact, at his own bar and restaurant in New York. But Lee Wallard, the winner of the 35th Indianapolis 500-mile race. Of course, when it comes to talking about drivers that dominated Indianapolis in the 50s, Mike, it goes without saying, a guy that I think might have the best natural just skill set in Indianapolis. And I know that that's a very subjective thing to say. But in terms of driving records over a three-year stretch, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that was better than Bill Vukovic. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's... We talked before on the show about how at one point Ralph De Palma was the man, the guy. Um, you know, in the fifties, the the early fifties, mid fifties, the guy was Bill Vukovic. There's no if and or but about it. That was the dominant guy. Bill Vukovic, again, when you're talking about somebody that I, I mean, you look at the way that he ran 
and the fact that he probably could have been it goes without saying a three-time winner 1952 he led four times for 150 laps i know most of you diehards know this and i'm spouting out information that is probably common to most people he led 195 laps in 1953 before getting his first indianapolis 500 then comes back in 1954 and again absolutely dominant day in terms of leading 90 laps so you're talking about nearly half of the race but that one for the first time mike probably a little bit more contended than the one before it oh yeah that was the case um you know they didn't you know people were making gains on them a little bit more in 54 than than in 53 in 53 there was nobody that could touch him I mean, not at all. But in 54, there were people, you know, they qualified 19th. There was a little bit of problem getting the car in the show uh, early on. And, and they, other guys had made a little bit of gains. But he still ended up dominating the race and, and won pretty much going away in 54 as well. But, but, but by 54, the people had made a little bit of gains on his team. But, uh, again, Vukovic still still the dominant driver all those years. 52, you know, probably should have won had the uh, steering pin problem late in the race. You know, it's sometimes reported that he crashed at the end. He didn't actually crash. He he drove the car up to the wall and let it kind of ro- ride up against the wall at the end of the race um, because, he, you know, the steering had failed, but uh, dominated that day. Um, you know, could have won that race, obviously. Did win in 53, but did win in 54. Bill Vukovic, 1954 winner, became a two-time winner. As a matter of fact, in back-to-back, this is how he sounded in victory lane. Bill, can you hear us now, Bill? How did you, how did you like that race? race? Win the race. I really don't know what to say. Bill, did you plan to only make two pit stops all the way? Well, we just ran until the tires wore out. We just got lucky, I guess. How was the heat this year as compared with last? And now he's being interrupted by some very important business being kissed by Marie Wilson. Oh, man, and now he's being kissed by his wife, Esther, and is he happy? He's getting, he's going to get another kiss from Marie Wilson. He wipes his face off. Oh, look at that. Okay, they're turning around so the photographers can get a a better picture. Okay, now he's relaxing, and, and he's turning his face over to Marie Wilson. There's a tremendous crowd down here in the bullpen. Esther Vukovic is very happy, and look at that kiss. Marie Wilson, how was it? He's wonderful, and I was—I don't know what to say. You—you you look kind of dizzy right at the moment, Marie, from that big kiss to Bill Vukovic. Now he's being congratulated by Raymond Firestone, the man who manufactures these tires, and now they're going to get a kiss from both Esther and Marie Wilson on each on one cheek. And Bill is climbing back up on the car. Bill, how was the heat this year compared with last? Well, it wasn't hot this year. It was pretty cool all the way through. Bill, that was quite a struggle getting up there from way back in the pack, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard road to hold from back there, I'll guarantee you. When did you feel you had that race won? Oh, I didn't know. We just figured to keep running and see what happens. Well, you really did it, Bill, Bill Vukovic. Congratulations. You're the third man in history to win this 500-mile race two times in succession. And here's the first man to do it, Wilbur Shaw. Wilbur, what did you think? You did a wonderful job again. You certainly are a champion of the first one. Wilbur, what did you think of this automobile race? The most beautiful race we've ever had. The most beautiful start. From start to finish, it's been wonderful. And even the Wilbur Shaw weather held up. Perfectly wonderful. I'm more certain every day that God is a 500-mile race fan. Thank you very much, Wilbur Shaw. 1954 victory lane, Bill Vukovic. And then, of course, 1955, we will get to, but... Uh, Mike, 
couple of finishing thoughts on that 1954 race. Well, in 54, one of the things I always find interesting about that particular clip is he he talks about how easy it was and he's not tired. But if you've ever seen that famous photo of him on the workbench that uh, they sell in the uh, Photoshop, one of the most famous racing photographs ever taken, that's from 1954. It's uh, a lot of people think it's from 53, the year before that everybody you know knows as the hottest 500 or things like that. That photo was actually taken in 1954. And so it's interesting that he talks about how easy it was, but yet he's photographed a few minutes later on the on the workbench, almost completely passed out on the bench. So he I ran that race at an average of 130.84 miles an hour. As a matter of fact, three hours and 49 minutes, Bill Vukovic winning the race over Jimmy Bryan, who finished second, and Jack McGrath, of course, finishing in third. Then in 1955, Bill Vukovic, unfortunately, tragically, was fatally injured in the course of that race while leading. And I think a lot of people, and I point this out several times, but I think it's worth pointing out, when Bill Vukovic was fatally injured and Sid Collins is recapping on air Bill Vukovic's career and says two-time winner and then pauses and says three-time winner almost. I think a lot of people think that that was Sid Collins opining that Vukovic was on his way to win in 1955, which he may well have been. But I don't think that that was Sid Collins making what would seemingly be an almost insensitive comment about the 55 race. It shows how dominant Vukovic had been in the 52 race and the fact that for a brief moment, Sid Collins was thinking, of course, that he had won that race as well. And I think he caught himself to say he almost was a three-time winner because he dominated so much in 1952 but the next thing we'll hear from is from 1955 if i'm not mistaken and we're talking about mike belvukovic and pete DiPaolo. yeah that's correct it's interesting that pete DiPaolo, you know we don't really think of him as an interviewer uh he you know he did a lot of appearances with sid on the radio network but in an unofficial capacity just as a guest but in this particular clip he's actually interviewing bill vukovic who didn't like to do a lot of interviews and things like that but it's it's pete DiPaolo talking to Bill Vukovic about his new team. Uh, Vukovic had switched teams for 1955 and had a new car. And so this is Pete DiPaolo talking to Bill Vukovic about that new car. Now, Bill, uh, what uh, make car do you have for our listeners they would like to know? Well, one of the new Curtis crafts, uh, one of the roadster type chassis, built last year. The car ran here last year, uh, Pat O'Connor drove it. So I took the driving job this year, and Frank uh, and Jim Travers is a mechanic, and the same mechanics to work for me the last two years. Well, in fact, last three years, yeah. Well, Bill, that's fine. You still have the winning combination. Not often you get to hear one Indy 500 winner interviewing another. When we come back, some of the names of the 50s and those that took the famous swig of milk, and we'll hear from them in terms of their own voices. We'll do that when we return to Beyond the Bricks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Beyond the Bricks, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake Quarry, Mike Thompson, Sam Fritz, Eddie Garrison behind the scenes. This is Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. How are you? Thanks for joining us this evening, taking a look back at drivers of 
the 50s. And that 1955 race, of course, will always unfortunately be remembered for the tragedy that took Bill Vukovic as he was leading and came out of turn number two. That overshadowed the victory of a guy that was having a dream season in 1955. Bob Swikert was born in Los Angeles in 1926, and by 1955, he was en route to accomplishing something that at the time was unprecedented. Winning the Indianapolis 500, the National Championship in Driving, and the Midwest Sprint Car Championship, doing all three in a single season. But again, the storyline might have been the fact that Bill Vukovic, not might have been, it was the fact that Bill Vukovic, of course, on that day, lost his life. And it kind of still remains the storyline to this day and again perhaps it was a dichotomy of emotion in 1955 this is how it sounded with bob swikert and here he comes driving beautifully right into that groove coming right down in front of us right now down the chute and into the southeast turn he takes the southeast turn very nicely riding the same groove he's ridden for the last 50 miles now jack shapiro you should be able to see him i sure can i sure can bill here comes bobby swikert the hometown kid from speedway city driving jack sink's car out of tulsa oklahoma and, and jack sink is a good friend of mine i know jack sink jr is really going to be a happy boy he's going into the northeast turn he's on his way in there and i think in a moment jim shelton will catch sight of him all right jack shapiro we certainly can seem a good-looking car and a good-looking driver and he's headed for the home stretch this man has really driven a race cool calm and collected and that goes for both driver and automobile you can hear the chairs in the home stretch and here's sid collins pick him up we can't see him yet, but here he comes down, I'm sure. That beautiful pink car, the checkered flag is out. Bill Vandewater, the starter, holds it high, waves it, and there's Bob Swanker, the winner of the first-time annual 500-mile race. the greatest thrills in sports, the start and the finish of the 500-mile race. Bob Swikert, who started 14th, moved up to the pack, held the lead most of the day, and is the winner. And, of course, that John Zink car ownership would repeat in 1956. And in preview in the 1956 race, I can only imagine, Mike, that when Bob Swikert was going around doing interviews to talk about the upcoming race again, surely that had to have been a topic of conversation. Again, that terrible dichotomy of being respectful of Bill Vukovic, but at the same time, you would hope that Bob Swikert was able to also enjoy the fact he was an Indy 500 champion. Well, unfortunately for you know Bob Swiker, is another situation where he didn't get to uh, live very much longer beyond his victory. I mean, he passed away the next summer in 1956 in an accident uh, at, at Salem. So, you know, that was the what happened. Unfortunately, sometimes in these uh, situations, is that a, another driver that we're talking about didn't get to savor his victory that long and and Swikert's an interesting guy I I think of a lot of times of of who would I have liked to have meet you know who would I have liked to have met uh, you know drivers from the past and Swikert is one of those guys I just think he would have been an interesting person because he was interested in road racing early on and things like that too and and I, I would like to talk to him about the fact that I mean he he won the 500 with Zinc. They mentioned that, and then he switched teams for the next year because he didn't want to move to Tulsa. They wanted him to move to Tulsa kind of full time or be around the team, and he didn't want to do that. So he ended up changing teams. Uh, he left the winning team to go to another team. So just kind of an interesting guy was Bob Swiker. 
And again, that 1956 race, though, he was able to run at Indy because it was just after that when he was fatally injured, as you had mentioned. Finished sixth in the 1956 Indianapolis 500. And again, beforehand, as the defending winner, sat down with Tom Carnegie. This is Tom Carnegie reporting from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, home of the International Speed Classic, the famed 500-mile race. Presenting the 500-mile winner of 1955, Bob Swikert, and out to repeat again for the second year in a row. Bob, it's nice to have you at the track again this year. Well, thank you, Tom. How long did it take you to realize your ambition to win the 500? Uh, well, Tom, after I once got here in 1950, uh, it took me uh, six years, although my first uh, time in competition was 1952. But this also, being my first time to win, it was my first time to finish the race. I had gone out with mechanical failures of one kind or another three years prior. What have you been doing since winning the event last year? I imagine, first of all, you've been eating regular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Put my kids back on milk. <laughs> well, you were the national driving champ of 1955, among yes. your other honors. Tell us about the races you were in, how many you won. Well, Tom, I only won one national championship race and got three seconds. I uh, was leading a couple of them and had uh, the misfortune to fall out late in the race. I uh, won the Midwestern Sprint uh, Championship also. I understand the, you were in Sebring, Florida, too. Yes, I was just going to say about the most fun I had all winter was driving a sports car. It was my first experience, and uh, although it isn't the the uh, split-second hard kind of racing that we do, it's uh, it's very interesting and a lot of fun because you're doing a lot of shifting, you know, and braking, and it's, real, it's a lot of fun. Has it uh, made a big difference in your personal life, Bob, winning the race? Well, not so much. The only thing is I don't have any time to myself anymore. That's what I wondered, if the family yeah, was objecting now. <laughs> Tell us about I, your family, Bob. Well, I have, um, I have a little girl, two and a half years old, and then, uh, you know, my wife, uh, I have two stepchildren also. They mm -hmm. had last year, you know, that I had three children, but really only one of them is, is mine. Well, now, how does uh, your new car this year compare with your winning car of a year ago? Well, the car is considerably lighter, and it's just a little bit narrower. And it has a, a more rigid frame, and it, although it has the same uh, same Myron Drake engine, and basically it's the same automobile. It's just beefed up in spots and lightened in others and narrowed up a little bit. What number will it carry, Bob? Carry and what's no the name number of it? one. And what's the name of it? It's the DA Lubricant Special. And by virtue of carrying number one, that means that you were the number one driver in the nation in 1955, right, Bob? Yes, that's right. And that's quite an honor, and that's the first time you've had the privilege of carrying that number. It means a lot, right? Yes, that's right. Say, so what will be the fastest qualifying speed this year, Bob? You ought to be able to make a prediction. Well, I have. I, I don't say that uh, a, a fellow will average this speed, but I think that someone will turn a lap 146 miles an hour, maybe just one lap. Would you like to be the fellow that does it? Yes, I would. I'd like to sit mm -hmm. on the pole, although I think the, the main thing is to get in the race. You know, I mean, you, mm -hmm. if you don't get in, you can't, <laughs> you can't win it. How far back did you start in last year's field of 33? I started 14th. And you came up and won the event, so yes. that proves you don't have to be in that front I was row. Third at uh, third at 20 laps, and then was never further back than third. 
Say, the total prize fund for being the fastest qualifier this year is $2,500. So you're going to shoot for it, and that'll be some more of that money that you've picked up over the last few months. Well, right? we'll give it a whirl if we're ready to go on the first day. The car isn't quite completed, although we expect to have it ready by the end of the week. Thank you very much, Bob Swiker. Time trials, 19th and 20th at the 500-mile race. And then again the following weekend, the 26th and 27th. The 500-mile classic itself is set for May the 30th. Indianapolis has the welcome sign out for you. Be in Hoosier land on Memorial Day. Bob Swiker was pretty darn close because the pole speed in 1956 for Pat Flaherty was at 145.596 miles an hour so pretty darn close to 146 miles an hour as a matter of fact pat flaherty would go on to win that race again winning for john zink in 1956 and in 1961 he sat down for an interview with sid collins and there pat flaherty announced his retirement in 1956 pat flaherty hailing from chicago illinois sat on the pole here at the speedway and came in to win the 500 that same day his greatest thrill, I'm sure, in the racing business, which he had uh, pursued for a long, long time. And last night, Pat Flaherty, who returned to the racetrack after laying off last year for an operation on an injured arm, which he received in August of the year he won the 500 back in 56, Pat announced to Danny Oakes, his chief mechanic, that he was going to retire from the sport. Pat, what made you reach that decision? Well, Sid, I just couldn't get my old timing back and get that uh, college spirit built up into myself. You know, when you drive these race cars, you really have to drive them for the love of it and forget about the money because there isn't that much involved and uh, you have to have spirit to go along with that uh, your driving ability and I just thought the time had come where I just couldn't get everything coordinated again. Did you feel a bit unsure, some fear on the track, Pat? Well, I thought I could develop it with a little running and that, but I just, uh, I, I know it's the first few laps and that I was quite a bit tense and I found myself doing things that I, I knew better and uh, yet I wasn't making corrections on them, so I figured I'd better just climb out. How old are you now, Pat Flaherty? 35. Which certainly gives you a long time to do other things in your life, I trust. You have some future plans? Sure do. I'd like to go to work for one of the uh, automotive accessory agencies that are connected with the automotive uh, racing game here. Well, uh, Bill Cheeseburg got in your Dean Van Line special this morning and qualified it, so everything is under control as far as your car owner is concerned. Well, they're in real good shape, I think. Pat, will you be giving some advice to drivers or working in a pit crew on race day? Well, you know, it's uh, pretty tough to keep a driver away from giving advice to other drivers, even though sometimes it's not wanted, but uh, I'll be around there, sure. I wouldn't miss the race. Well, you've only been retired now less than 24 hours, but do you feel uh, any emotional reaction to giving up the sport, which has been your life work? Well, it's quite a letdown, of course, but uh, after all, there's other things, and I think I can be just as successful in them as I was in the automotive uh, racing. Best of luck to you, Pat. Thanks, Ed. Right. That was Pat Flaherty, who won the 500-mile race here in 1956, now announcing his retirement from racing. Sid Collins getting breaking news back in the day. He beat Twitter, Mike. That's right. The place to retire. There was a, there were a couple different guys who actually retired on the air with Sid in in that era. But uh, it's interesting that uh, Pat Flaherty said he wanted to stay involved in motorsports because he really didn't. He drifted away from motorsports almost completely. And the thing he got most involved with was, believe it or not, was pigeon racing. He was involved very very heavily in pigeon racing. And I I remember as a kid I wrote him for an autograph, and he signed my picture, but he sent me back pictures of these pigeons. And he said, I race pigeons now, and here are my pigeons. And and there were these just these pictures, these random pigeons that were enclosed in the envelope, which I thought was very interesting. Pat Flaherty, by the way, not sure what happened to the pigeons after the fact, passed away in Oxnard, California on April 9th of 2002 at the age 
of 76. When do we come back on Beyond the Bricks? A guy that I think you could probably say was the Tony Kanan of his era. We'll explain on the other side. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Sid Collins with the latest news on the 500-mile race from the Speedway at Indianapolis. Meet Sam Hanks. Sam figures to be one of the top contenders for a visit to the winner's circle this year at Indianapolis. Well, Sid, I certainly hope so, because this will be my limit fight here at the Speedway. Well, Sam, the makers of Mobile Gas Special will again be mixing the special hot fuels for the cars here at Indianapolis. As you know, Sam Hanks, they're experts on fuels. That's one good reason why Mobile Gas Special is such a terrific gasoline for all the new 1955 and 56 cars. Now, you drive a 1956 Buick, Sam. Have you tried Mobile Gas Special in it? Yes, Sid, I have. We use Mobile Gas Special in all our cars over the place where I work in the coast, and we used it in the Mobile Economy Run, and we certainly like the performance of the gasoline. Well, thank you, Sam Hanks, and their fans, you have it from an expert. A smooth, knock-free getaway and long mileage in your own 1955 or 56 car, get Mobile Gas Special at every sign of the flying red horse. And Sam Hanks was oh so close. In that year of 1956, when that advertisement with Sid Collins was taking place, a runner-up finish for Sam Hanks, and it was a year later when he finally would break through. Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson, Sam Fritz, Eddie Garrison helping us out. This is Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. And Mike, I had said before we went to the break that Sam Hanks was the Tony Kanaan of his era. Now, certainly Tony Kanaan did not grow up racing on board tracks, as did Sam Hanks. He didn't run around the country racing at places like Soldier Field, for that matter, or anywhere that he could uh, race, essentially, because Tony Kanaan, of course, grew up in Brazil. But probably similar in the fact that they grew up both running in anything that they could basically get into. In the case of Kanaan, it would be carts. In the case of Sam Hanks, eventually it would be you know, midget racing or all kinds of national championship USAC races across the country. But there is one thing they have in common, and that is that for both of them, it was not until their 12th Indianapolis 500-mile race that they would win the biggest race in the world. And, of course, in Kanan's case, as we know, Mike, his racing continued. For Sam Hanks, it did not. Yeah, that's that's correct in a, a roundabout way as well. But they also have they did have another thing in common, and they have something in common with me. Do you know what that is? I'm going to guess. Now, one thing I don't know that this would relate with Kanan, but I believe Hanks was born in Columbus, Ohio, and I know that if you were not born there, you have called residence there. That is correct. Sam Hanks was born in Columbus, Ohio. I live in Columbus, Ohio. And at one point, Tony Kanan lived in Columbus, Ohio, when he shared an apartment with Elio Castroneves. I had no idea that Kanan and Castroneves lived in Columbus, Ohio together. That's correct. They did. When they raced for Tasman in the Indy Light Series uh, for Steve Horn and Tasman, they lived in Columbus, Ohio. So there's, there's your little fun fact about Columbus, Ohio, uh, where I currently am sitting for the day. How about that? And the good news is Tony Kanan, Sam Hanks, and Elio Castroneves all found themselves continuing to be likable personalities because they did not 
become Ohio State football fans. So oh, good. there you go. There you go. Got to get the Ohio State game. <laughs> As a Clemson but, fan, I'm entitled to say it, right? That's right. That's right. But, uh, hey, Sam Hanks, you're, I think your comparison between Sam Hanks and, and uh, Tony Kanan is very apt. I mean, such popular winners because it took them, you know, they should have won multiple times potentially, uh, so close, and the fans were so behind them. Obviously, I mean, they, they – you know, you obviously know how it is in driver introductions for Tony Kanan. They tear the place down for him. I mean, he's so popular. Uh, Sam Hanks was an incredibly popular winner in 1957 uh, when he won. The, it's believed he retired from all racing in Victory Lane. That's what people believe. That's actually not true. He continued to run some stock car races and things like that after that. But he did not run championship cars after winning in 1957. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, and you tell me if I'm wrong, um, but Hanks also served in the military correct i believe that's the case um i i, I don't know that for a fact so i would not want to say he, that he obviously raced before the war and then the war happens that kind of impedes his career and then he comes back runs after the war and in his 12 500 he won in 1957 then in 1958 as is always the case sat down to do an interview to talk about the race that happened back in 1957 and now, live in our Tower Control Broadcasting booth, it's a pleasure to be seated alongside Sam Hanks, the winner. Sam, it seems like a long time ago. Is it more fun being up here looking down at that checkered flag in that starting line or being in the cockpit of the race car? Well, this year, it's a much more pleasant being up here looking down and viewing it. Sam, how did you feel when you got the flag after trying such a long time, about 12 years, huh? Well, it's a feeling that I don't believe anybody could describe at all, Sid. It was the greatest feeling in our life, and we just were really thrilled, and uh, we were for a number of weeks afterwards. Well, as you heard me mention on that tape recording of last year's Finney, Sam, Jimmy Rathman was right on your tail, hot and heavy, wasn't he? He certainly was. He gave you an awful good chase for the entire race. Did you think at any time he might catch you? Well, he had a a 10-second lead on us, Sid, after we made our second pit stop, but I caught him and went by him and got enough lead ahead of him that he didn't even go by us on our third pit stop. Actually, I figured that uh, Jim would be ahead of me when I made my third pit stop and come out, but I wasn't too concerned about it. You've been quoted as saying the luckiest part of the race to you was in the 37th lap. What happened? It certainly was, Sid. Well, I'd passed Paul Russo about three or four times prior to leading the race on the 36th lap, and as I was going down the back straightaway on that same lap, Paul Russo was driving right by me with the dovi, which he could easily do. Mm-hmm. And as he got alongside of me, away down there, he waved, and I think uh, the frame in his car broke at the same time. And the next thing I knew, Mr. Russo was sitting almost sideways right in front of me at about 165 to 70 miles an hour. It was a very close call. I'm very fortunately and lucky that I missed him. I moved real quick, and the car stuck good is the reason we avoided him. Did you say anything to him as you passed, Sam? No, I uh, <laughs> was kind of busy. Somebody said you said so long, Doc. Was that just a mental Well, that comment? was uh, after I got around him and in through the north turn and on the short straightaway, I looked back to see if Paul had made it all right, too, because we're very good friends. And when I saw he was coming, I said to myself, well, so long, Doc, I'm going to get going now. And you did, and you kept on going. You've been going ever since, haven't you? Very much so. Does this feel like the cloud nine you've been on up here in this uh, tower? It certainly does. And well, I might add, too, there, said that we've been on what we might call cloud nine ever since we won the race last year, and it's still going right along with Alice and I. Sam, what are your duties here at the Speedway now that you're retired from active competition? Well, Mr. Holman very graciously hired me as the director of racing here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Sid, and it's a real honor bestowed upon me, and I'm very proud of the position. Sam, many of the drivers say that if you drive the pace car race day, is that a fact, by the way, now? I believe it will be in the very 
near future. It looks very much like that as it is of now. Well, they say if you do, you might not stop and you might be leading the pack after 10 laps. Well, I heard a cute statement the other day in the Pitts area there. One of the boys, I think it was Jimmy Bryan or one of the newspaper men, I don't know which one stated it. He says, well, I can hear Sid Collins announcing the race now. We've just completed the 10th lap and the pace car is still leading. <laughs> With Sam Hanks at the wheel. It'd be a great thrill, Sam, whatever car you're in. You've given us a lot of thrills and excitement and sports. We congratulate you on your new job, and we'll have you up here to broadcast with us on race day and give your expert opinion, all right? Fine, Sid. Be happy. Thank you very much. Sam Hanks, winner of the 1957 500-mile race. Sam Hanks would pass away in Pacific Palisades, if I'm saying that correctly, California, in June of 1994 at the age of 79. You heard him reference there his wife, Alice. She just passed away recently, as a matter of fact, relatively recently, in October of 2000. And 21. A lot of fun looking back at some of the drivers of the 50s. Bob Schweikert among them, Lee Wallard, and of course, Sam Hanks. My thanks to Sam Fritz, Eddie Garrison, Mike Thompson. I'm Jake Query. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Bricks.